Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button if you haven't already, and please share widely with others. It makes a huge difference indeed. Today I have two guests, two wonderful guests who I consider my friends, who I've known for a few years, and who are doing remarkable stuff. Matt Hyde, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Scouts, in the UK. And Matt is actually our first ever guest who is joining us for the third time. Uh, I've had people coming in twice, but Matt has been here in 2019, 2020, and now as we wrap up 2021. And we have Andrew Bollington. Uh, Andrew Bollington is an expert in education. He is a volunteer with the Scouts who has worked very closely with the Scouts in in the topic that we're going to be covering today. So today we are going to be talking about early childhood development, as it were, from a technical perspective. But really what we're looking at is the scouts in the UK rolling out something called the squirrels, which is a provision for very young children. It's a it's a newly uh, rolled out uh, initiative. And it's something that I've been a little bit involved with from a few years back, but that Matt and Andrew have been very closely involved with over the last few years. So there was an exploratory uh, coffee or gathering or various gatherings exploring the notion of whether there should be a, a provision by the Scouts for, an, for for younger children and what would be the benefits from, from doing that. And we have a journey that we're going to be talking about today, basically from that exploratory gathering of interesting voices to doing some research of what the program could look like, to looking at funding, of how the funding could, could, could structure, doing some piloting, having it rolled out, especially in marginalized parts of the UK, and looking at the way forward and what, what lessons have been drawn and, and what the way forward could look like. Now, before we kick things off, I'd like to extend a heartfelt thanks to our sponsors, Quilt AI. Quilt AI is an artificial intelligence powered consumer insights and market research platform. They currently work with approximately 100 clients, ranging from large corporations such as Coca-Cola, Unilever, and Visa, to technology companies such as Twitter and Amazon, and large philanthropic organizations such as the Gates Foundation, the World Bank, Girl Effect, the UN, and Children's Investment Fund Foundation. With 6 million data sources and hundreds of AI models, they're able to answer any consumer or beneficiary research problem across more than 90 countries. And in 2019, the mission-based technology approach led The Economist to calling them an AI for good company. So do check them out at quilt.ai. As I mentioned a minute ago, today it's such a pleasure to welcome back onto the show Matt Hyde, Chief Executive Officer of the Scouts UK, and to welcome for the first time Andrew Bollington, who is a volunteer with the Scouts today. A big heartfelt welcome to both of you. Good to be here for the hat trick. <laughs> first time for me, Alberto, but equally a pleasure. So let's start a little bit in, in no particular order, whichever one of you wants to take this first, but why was it important for the Scouts to even consider doing uh, something for younger children than than was the case before? And give us the, the, the age bracket that, you, that we're talking about for the squirrels as well. Well, as you say, squirrels is a tailor-made program for four and five-year-olds. It's the first time we've introduced a new age range for 35 years when we introduced Beaver Scouts back in uh, 1986 uh, and the focus is on young people gaining skills at a time when it matters most and and where it's needed most 
as well and we'll probably come on to talk about where we're focusing our our provision and that the the origins um go back about 30 years really in northern ireland who've had this provision um uh, connected to scouting but separate from scouting uh uh for this age same age range four and five year olds um incredible community leaders who started this uh, because they thought it was uh, appropriate to have this provision um and that's how they started it and my first board meeting at the scouts actually looked at whether we should introduce uh, the, the scouting for this age range uh back in 2013 and, and rejected the idea at the time I'd always thought it was quite a good idea, um, but there just wasn't the there wasn't the appetite. What then happened was when we came to uh, develop our new strategy in 2018, we held an event over a weekend of about 700 volunteers and young people in in Warwick. Incredible, one of the most empowering, inspiring uh, strategy weekends I think I've ever had. Um, this was back in in 2017, and it was young people from Northern Ireland. Who pushed this idea and they it was a brilliant targeted campaign uh to convince us nationally that we should be doing this but also to convince the room that it was appropriate to do scouting for four and five-year-olds uh, and out of that we produced the strategy which um if i'm if i'm really honest i mean it's a really interesting lesson i think in change here not everyone was convinced this was the right thing to do there was a large degree of skepticism um, I mean, over 50%, I think we're not sure or saying this isn't the right thing to do. You won't find the leaders. We've already got 70,000 kids on the waiting list. This is just cheap childcare and all of those sorts of things. So what we did was we said, well, let's pilot it. So that's when I think we first started talking, Alberto. And um, uh, that led to, could we get funding? It just so happened the Department for Education had a funding round looking at uh, early years education and the home learning environment um, that had just gone live uh, after we'd had this this conference and we managed to secure that funding which led to the pilots and and this is probably the point to bring Andrew in because obviously I'd known Andrew for a few years as a as a volunteer in different uh, roles that he played within uh, the scouts nationally but it was Andrew who sat me down after this and said let me talk to you about the neuroscience um and and really I'd, I'd always known back to my days of running nus that the uh the earlier you can have an impact on a, on a young person or a child the the greater the impact on their their life outcomes so i'd known it at that level but i didn't know any more uh, I didn't know the neuroscience behind it, I, and it blew my mind, to be honest with you. And, and Andrew just went through this presentation, um, and that's really led to his involvement. Excellent, excellent. And Andrew, yes, indeed. I mean, I think you're you're extremely well versed when it comes to the neuroscience and and, and the early years. And give us a little bit of um, of, uh, of insight into how things played out from there. Yeah, I I, I clicked into this at, at the point at which. Um, this was appearing as an idea in the in the the new strategy for the association skills for life and you know there was this intriguing line about we we're going to try and pilot early years and um you know my, my my professional work now for for many years has 
has been in the field of early years in education generally, I'm uh, I'm sure like many of the people listening are just hugely convinced and passionate about the impact that uh, making changes early in life can have. So there was never any doubt about my mind. And actually, I've, I've also had a background. I've been in the Scouts since I was at the age of eight. So I, you know, personally and through many friends have seen the enormous difference that Scouting uh, makes and you know I saw this piece in the in the strategy and just thought this is amazing what happens when you bring these two things together you know that strength of uh, making a difference in a, at an earlier age range with the amazing things that we know that scouting does for the development of young people and yeah that's when we sat down and had some of these conversations and um, you know there's, there's many ways in which you can you know take an idea and scale it in this world and so often people start by saying okay i've got this idea i now need to build an organization and we need to sort of grow it and scale it up steadily and and of course there's some fabulous organizations that have started in that way and done that and um, it leads to great things but there's another way i think that we're showing through this project which is you can also take an existing organization with huge infrastructure and capacity you know scouting's been around since 1908 um, has over 100,000 volunteers in the UK. So it's got a huge, huge capacity. And the question is, what happens if you inject this new idea into that? What happens if you sort of say, what would happen if we started this at the age of four and five instead of six and older? And that was the exploration we went down. And uh, as Matt was alluding to, you know, a big piece of that, I think the challenge of moving an existing organisation as, as opposed to starting a new one is that you've got to convince people of something new. You've got... You know, you've got all this infrastructure, which is brilliant, but you've also got all these established ways of doing things. And uh, that's not what we do around here. And surely it's just uh, babysitting. And so, um, yeah, the neuroscience was kind of quite unlocking, I think, for many people to have that aha moment to go, actually, yeah, that's powerful. If, If we could take what scouting is best at and apply it here at an age range when we know where kids are particularly open um to, to early learning, then there's something really powerful to play with. Yeah. And so you had that initial uh, consideration, exploration for an earlier provision. Um, you sort of took the pulse of who's who and, and who's in favor of this sort of stuff, maybe who needs a little bit of cajoling or a bit of a charm offensive to get them on board. So you do all of that and you've spoken to some individuals, different voices who say, yeah, we validate what you're thinking, I think go ahead and, and, and move on that. Then what? So where, where do you go from that commitment that you've recognized to yourself? Yes, we're going to, we're signed up for this. We're going to do this, but we don't, you know, we're going to need to do some research. We're going to need to know where we're going to do that. And so what's that, uh, what did that look like? So we, we got it in the, we got it into the strategic plan. That was the legitimacy. Um, and the key thing then was to pilot. And we went through a, 18-month, two-year piloting process, um, working with 30 to 40 different sites across the country. Um, And at least for me, I think one of the key things was um, very high levels of transparency about those pilots. We encouraged people to look at them, to see them. We published data. We published reports. Uh, we, We realized that a key piece of this was both learning ourselves through the pilots about what really worked and didn't work, but doing that in a way that allowed other people to see it at the same time. Is that how you saw that, Matt? Yeah, I, um, you know, it's interesting. I, I think we benefited from a lot of the work that had happened in Northern Ireland. Uh, I, I remember I went over there with some of the, my senior team and met these incredible women from uh, the Northern Ireland Squirrels Association. 
and uh, the more I saw of those uh, drays, as they're called, so the groups in action, uh, I just immediately thought this is a no-brainer. We just need to do this as quickly as possible. Because once you went in the room and you saw the young person developing before your eyes, it was so exciting, energizing, uplifting. And when I spoke to those community leaders, I was a bit nervous that it was going to look like we were going to take their idea and just run with it. And I, and I kind of tentatively said, how do you feel about us taking this idea and, and, and uh, rolling it out across the rest of the UK? And uh, one they of said, the, don't you dare. Well, no, one of the leaders, she smiled and just uh, and uh, said, we've been waiting for 25 years for you to come over. So they just knew they wanted it because they'd seen the benefits of it. And um, so, so what we also did then after that was we were tracking internal sentiment. So we were doing poll surveys of the membership and you could start to see the dial turning towards more positivity over time. That's partly because as the pilot started, it wasn't, uh, you know, us from London or Gilwell Park where we're based um, telling people this was a good idea. It was other volunteers telling volunteers, we're running this. It's amazing you're wrong about those aspects that you're saying around cheap childcare and stuff like this. This is the transformational impact it's, we're seeing both on those young people, but on all of us for a, as a group. You know, there's a group in, um, a scout group in Portsmouth that say the introduction of squirrels has not just changed that one section of a part of that scout group, it's changed the whole group. It's brought new leaders in at all levels and it's energized everyone. So we tracked that. And what was interesting when we did the launch in September was, again, there's a lesson here in terms of uh, leadership and where if people are listening to this on a particular part of the journey where you just at that point where you're thinking, oh, crikey, this change isn't going to happen. The, some of the biggest naysayers of the past few years uh, came in on the day, I remember it was the Scout Scotland AGM and the chair said some of the biggest critics were suddenly saying, why aren't we doing this? We need to get behind this. So it's interesting, you know, I mean, people, once people see a good idea that is, is uplifting, they want to get behind it. Excellent, excellent. And what about the funding? Uh, presumably you needed to get some funding before you ran some of the pilots? Or was it, what, like, what's the sequencing on that? Well, we needed fund. One of the things we said when we launched the plan, and this was partly a way of getting this idea up and running when there was a nervousness, this shouldn't be a priority, was to say, we're not going to use any of the movement's money to do this. We're going to secure external funding. Unfortunately, um, uh, different funders came to the table quite quickly so department for education i've mentioned already peter crudders foundation the mercers jack petchy uh, um, and and more recently the national lottery community fund and and that gathered a momentum in and of itself as well and so having some of those dinners that you were attending and people who knew people who knew people who were then able to be evangelists for what we were doing was very powerful it wasn't just us saying it was people like yourself saying 
I've seen this great idea. Let's get behind it. Do you know that, yeah. that funding unlocked other things as well, which you know traditionally scouting has found difficult to do. But you know, for example, it allowed us to bring in an external evaluator to really track through what we were doing, to look at the quality of it, to, to capture the learning, to really help us improve it. And you know, that, that's just the kind of money that goes beyond what a, uh, a charity can often find from its own funds and sources. It really has made a huge difference to this. Excellent. Yeah, so we have the um, Centre for Research into Early Childhood. We did the, did the evaluation, which is all online on the, on the website, on scouts.org.uk, who describes the uh, impact of being you know, positive and, and at times transformational. Uh, and that, again, that was, uh, we've, been a, we've been a lot better at that in terms of evidencing our impact. Um, but uh, this this was really did make a difference in terms of making the case to the scout movement, but also externally. The other thing that the funding did is it took us into areas that we probably wouldn't have gone into, like the home learning environment. So the Department for Education funding with that was looking not just at um, early years uh, provision um, uh, in a non-formal learning context, but also what if you then have resources you take into the home learning environment. Uh, we probably wouldn't have gone into that if if it wasn't for the funding. And that and is this sort of uh, age-old belief, isn't there, that you shouldn't uh, have, you know, be dictated to by funders and, and start to lose sight of your, your your mission and your purpose. Actually, I think this is a good example where sometimes it can actually add to the innovation and the creativity of what you're doing. A really interesting story I was told um, recently about because of the resources that were taken into the home Mm -hmm. there was a grandchild who um we'd given particular uh, support over the summer um with with resources and activities you could do at home and a grandchild was um playing the resources uh using these resources and activities with the grandparent and said that they'd never had that level of interaction with their grandparent before because on a saturday afternoon all, all the grandfather did was watch the racing uh-huh. and he stopped watching the racing to have that moment of connection with his grandchild and we did never have done that were not for the home learning resources and when you were thinking about okay we're going to do some piloting obviously i think almost by definition the piloting means that you're going to have to be a bit selective as to where you're going to do the piloting what you're going to sample and so forth how did you decide which communities were going to be on the receiving end of these uh of these pilots let me take that so um this i think is um this has been really new space for us and exciting space because every one of those pilots was in imds one to three so uh, we were deliberately um, targeting communities that are are challenged uh, and frankly often communities where scouting isn't as strong we don't we don't have the same strength of networks and leaders and volunteers and places to meet. I say that despite, you know, uh, this has been a priority for the movement for some years and uh, huge progress has been made, but this is the first time of actually designing a new section where from day one, we said, that's going to be our target. We're not going to design something and then try and retrospectively fit it so that it works in harder to reach communities. We're actually going to do this the other way around. We're going to start with those communities um, make sure it works there, frankly, in the confidence that it will then probably much more easily work in some of the more affluent and better resourced communities across the country. So it's been a real difference from us from day one, really baked into the whole programme. And it's actually resulted in some very significant um, 
learning and development in terms of the way we've designed the program, uh, the kind of expectations we've got for um, the program and the resources that can be around right the way through this. Uh, it's been a real priority. Mm. And it should presumably, or it could presumably help you out in these communities to strengthen a non-existent, as it were, scout movement to gain a foothold in new areas for the the the, the beaver scouts and, and, and older age groups as these kids start growing up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, completely. I think it, it, it opens doors, frankly. I, I, th I think there's something about um, working with children and families of this age. Um, parents want to be involved. They, you know, with uh, our group in Portsmouth, they, they joked fairly early on that, you know, with the older, uh, the older scouts, you know, the, uh, the, the parent comes along, drops them out of the car, and before you know it, the car has sped along the road in the opposite direction. With this age range, the parents want to be involved. They stay, um, there's much more engagement, and uh, that just creates all sorts of possibilities. You know, scouting is fundamentally a community-based organization. We need those adults, we need those volunteers. Um, this is an age range that seems to open doors. And, you know, the amazing thing here is we've shown that can work in in any any community. Um, this This is something that really is working for us that those pilots have been amazingly successful we we had uh, groups that you know we'd, we'd originally asked to open up one section and then a couple of months later they're saying no the demand's so great we're, we're opening up a second and you say well where, where did you find the adults for that where were the volunteers because everyone said to us you know you're, you're crazy doing this you're not going to find the volunteers but again what we're finding is new people come in because they like working with this age range it's easier to talk to parents and pull them in um it, it's 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 opening up new possibilities for us yeah we've actually had uh one group just found out this week that uh he's actually opening a third group <laughs> a third dray and we open that we launched this second week of september so that is incredible the, the other i mean the, the thing that was interesting about the pilots is that 58 of the volunteers who came along were new to scouting And that, that was part of why we are we got so excited about this innovation. It's not just about the impact it's going to have on these young people's lives, which we, we know about in terms of the executive skills and the brain architecture and all of that. It's actually the impact it's having on the wider movement. Because if we can change, you know, when we, when we, we talked in the launch about if you change the start of the story, you change the whole story. That's as true of the scout movement is it, as it is about the young person. Because if you can change the makeup of people coming into scouting at that very early uh, early age, then one would hope that they go on to be Beaver Scouts and Cub Scouts and uh, Scouts and Explorer Scouts, and 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 that that shifts the whole demographic and feel of the of the scout movement, which is something we've been uh, with one of our uh, strategic objectives. And I think the reason for that is is because Andrew, as Andrew was um, saying, it, it, you've kind of lowered the bar to participation with this this provision. If you say to someone, um, "We want you to come and help out with scouts. Uh, we just need you to uh, pitch a tent, strike a tent, uh, light a fire." Some people are like, "Thank you very much. Sorry, I'm going to stay at home and watch Netflix. Thank you very much." Yeah, not today. Uh, not today. <laughs> But actually, if you say to someone, "We we just need someone to come along." and just play a game as Simon says, or um, just uh, read, a, read a story, or just help out on a, on a creative uh, activity or, or with some baking or whatever it is, suddenly you've lowered the, 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 the bar to participation. And I think there's something here in respect of 
volunteering and indeed what we've seen in volunteering beyond scouting over the last uh, 18 months to two years throughout the pandemic. 12.4 million people volunteered during the pandemic, 4.6 million for the first time, of which 3.6 million say they want to continue uh, to volunteer. So I think but but in order for that to happen, you've got to make volunteering as easy as, as easy as possible. Yeah. yeah. And the uh, and the pilots, so how long did you run these pilots for and, and give us a view of the scale of you know how many programs there were and so uh, we were running around 40 pilots. We we ran them over two years. Um, actually we're still piloting. Do you, um, we, 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 we formally launched uh, in September, but uh, we're still learning things from a smaller uh, group of those uh, original pilots, um, largely because this, you know, it's a big, uh, complex provision with a program. Of course, COVID happened um, in, in the middle of that, um, and that challenged us about testing some of the ways we want, uh, some of the things we wanted to test. So, uh, for example, doing nights away with four and five year olds is obviously much more challenging than with older age range and we're still uh, piloting around that um but yeah with the you know the, the sort of core piloting period there was just over the 18 months to two years um working with crec was hugely useful because they were evaluating throughout that period and that allowed us to pull all that experience together and do the sort of final design of the the program the the, the branding uh, everything else that we pushed out um in september including really critically um you know, uh, a, a great pack of program materials. Um, Matt, Matt talked about sort of making it easy and making it accessible. Part of what we wanted to do here was to make sure that someone starting with this age range had great ideas about what to do on the first week, the second week, and indeed six months later. Um, so they weren't having to uh, reinvent wheels themselves. Yeah. And when you were looking at the design and the, the things that I'm just curious about the the insights that you've gained over the two years that you were piloting. Were there certain things that were reaffirmed, certain notions that you had that were reaffirmed, and perhaps certain things that uh, that didn't play out the way you were expecting that you thought were going to go like gangbusters, but actually no, no, uh, not for what we need to do. The design here, we need to do something slightly differently. Interesting question. I, 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 two or three things quickly come to mind. You know, in reaffirmed. Um, kids love being out of doors, doing stuff that's active, out of doors and engaging. You know, frankly, that's the best of scouting and it just works at four and five year olds just as well. So, so that, that was great to see that. Things we weren't expecting, actually, we, um, we, we have uh, a, a section or a, a provision which we call young leaders for 14 to 18 year olds, trying to give um, teenagers the, those kind of leadership skills. We weren't expecting it, but it became really apparent early on how much those 14 to 18-year-olds love volunteering and working with four- and five-year-olds. And once we spotted that, we've just been able to strengthen those links and create those connections. And that's, that's again, it, I, I think it's something, you know, you, you look at an, you look at a, an intervention here, um, and what you're seeing, I think, is multiple benefits coming back, both for the child, for the community, for a young leader, for a, a parent getting involved, and so on. It's it's a kind of it's a win-win-win scenario going on right the way around the loop. So th th those were important. Um, you know, we, we we also found out other things and, and adapted the program as a result. You know, um, uh, many of our sections would meet for an hour and a half or two hours a week. That's too long for four to five year olds. So. You know that was part of the reason for piloting. We wanted to 
uh, we wanted to test some of those things and find out what was feasible, what worked, and how much program do you need to fill an hour in a way that's comfortable and active and engaging, but isn't over um, tiring and exhausting at, you know, towards the end of the day when um, these kids have already had a full day. Yeah. And so if I'm a parent and I'm listening to this and I happen to have a three-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old, somebody who would fit into that group, um, what would I expect my my child to do uh, going to the scrolls for an hour a week? Well, it's a very um, diverse program. We talk about a balanced program and, you know, there are lots of activities you can do from uh, creative uh, creative activities to being outdoors to undertaking social action you know we've got a local superhero badge where you can do everything from you know they're, they're out doing litter picking to this week they're doing lo lots of uh, squirrel strays doing stuff on the environment because it's you know because of uh, cop um, and there are 35 badges that young people can achieve so from you know things like brilliant builders making stuff um and, and and you know it's ultimately about the best of scouting you know learning by doing getting outdoors combined with the best of of early years uh education you know storytelling routine and and play and in fact in fact we've we've so far issued twenty five thousand squirrels badges already wow there's a lot of sewing going on that's absolutely indeed yeah it must be incredibly rewarding for both of you i mean i have to say even from my my end of things um i remember when i read about the launch of the scrolls and there was a, a great deal of media coverage uh i felt wow that's really cool and i i loved the fact that i could see that i remember when there was that initial sort of concept meeting or gathering and and then seeing it actually happen but in your case both of you your fingerprints are all over these uh th this project yeah i mean um Look, I mean, every time Andrew and I have talked about this in recent years, and there's a fantastic team that are doing lots of work. You know, Liam Burns and Alan Hans and people like that. You've you, you've come across in in the past as well. It's a brilliant, brilliant team leading this. Um, I, I think we just got more and more excited because you could see the potential. Uh, you could, see, and the potential is is so significant, particularly in terms of when we've launched it coming through a pandemic. So, you know, the fact that um, these young people have spent a third of their lives in a pandemic, most of that in lockdown, is really, really significant in terms of the contribution we can make to these young people's lives and these communities and the country as a whole. And we were originally intending to launch it earlier. I mean, classic chief exec wanted things you know wanted it to get out as quickly as possible andrew would quite rightly say to me no no we need to do this properly we need to test this properly and i was like <laughs> can we just do it tomorrow let's do it tomorrow and, it was like, and he was right he was right because we um um we we learned more and it's it's a more it's a quality product um but actually really significantly i think you know in a way some things happen for a reason and i just think it's of it's it's of the moment it's 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 the ultimate post-pandemic response as far as i'm concerned so the contribution it has on these young people lives these communities i mean we're we're about 27 percent of of the 
drays that have opened are in IMD one to three, so thirty percent most deprived uh, wards. Forty-eight um, percent are in IMD one to five. It's really important that we continue to secure the funding we need to focus on these communities because the reality is we know this will take off in middle class communities because as soon as people see it they'll want the kids to take part and they'll turn up it, it, we know from experience you need staff support working with local communities um, in some of those uh, low income communities and also where we don't have a traditional footing so black asian minority ethnic communities as well and it's that funding that is paying for those staff members to drive up the provision in those um in those low-income areas you know earlier on in the conversation i mentioned the difference between you know scaling an organization or or taking an idea and injecting it into an organization with existing scale and uh, you know if you consider we launched this in September, you know, we've already got 483 drays right the way across the UK, either open or opening at the moment. Um, you know, that, that's a kind of scale that you can get when you take an existing organisation with the infrastructure and the capacity and the know-how and you help it to make this transformation. So, I, you know, when, when I look at this and, and think about it just from a personal journey, I think I, I find that scaling fascinating and, and just really see so much potential in that. You know, Matt just mentioned those numbers as well about IMDs one to three and one to five. You know, that's that that's a very significant different demographic that we're trying. You know, we're trying and at the moment are being successful in reaching, and and we're we're doing that. I think you know because from day one we piloted uh, with the with the very communities we want to reach. Um, we've we've built that into our launch mechanism to really encourage volunteers across the country to to look at where they're opening that provision. But you know the, the the target here and our expectation is that we will have created 120,000 places in 10 years' time, and that means we will have reached just short of half a million children over that 10 years. Now, you know, many organisations kind of give you that kind of hockey stick graph in their their best most optimistic projections. Um, that, that's actually just right in the middle of our run of the mill project. It actually reflects what we did with Beaver Scouts 30 years ago. So it's you know. That's a trajectory we can hit. And the big question for us is not, can we hit the 120,000 places and the half a million kids? It's, can we do that and keep those proportions in IMDs one to three and one to five? That, that, that's where we need the help to keep the focus of this into the communities most hit by COVID and, and into the communities that frankly we know will benefit most from getting a provision like this in at age four or five where we can make a real difference. Yeah. Those are some remarkable numbers. Um, when <laughs> when should a parent someplace in this country, ex if they don't have this available to them right now, when should they expect that uh, that that it's likely that they'll be able to participate in some sort of squirrels program, whether it's immediately at their front door or having to travel a few minutes? So, so go to, go to scouts.org.uk. Uh, there's a, a, a sort of sign-up process and information you can find there. You can find out where your local scout group is um, and, and go through the, the process there. You know, to be blunt, the biggest thing that um, we, we need um, in order to scale this at the rate we want to is more adults to come forward and volunteer. So uh, may, maybe those parents, when they're looking for their own child, could also think about you know, the possibility of helping out here. As Matt said earlier, that can be any, so many different ways someone can help and make this possible. 
But uh, we, you know, to be, to be honest, we're going to see that scaling happening over the next five to ten years, and it's it's not going to be there for every child today. Um, but of course, we've already got Beaver Scouts age six um, right the way across the UK in vast numbers. So um, it's coming. Excellent, excellent. Well, I see both of you on Zoom here having big, big smiles, which is good. This is uh, and re and looking remarkably refreshed considering the uh, the monumental achievement uh, that you that you put forward here. I always like to ask my guests for a key takeaway before we we uh, wrap up the show. And uh, and Andrew, perhaps I'll start with you. What's that that one thing that you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? I'm just going to go back to that sort of distinction between scaling an idea and scaling an organization. I, this project for me, I, you know, I've done so much in the scaling world over so many years, but this project for me really brought that idea home and the distinction between it and, and the strengths and the weaknesses of both models. It's not like one is brilliant and the other is a disaster, but really interesting concept to think through, I think. Excellent. Excellent. Matt? Well, I suppose it's that great ideas are like magnets they just draw you towards them and they give you energy. And in a way, the genius of this is it's so simple, but it's so, so powerful. And my, I kind of touched on this earlier. I think one of my lessons has been that even great ideas um, for some people are, for whatever reason, a threat. Um, or it, there's something uncomfortable about what's being put forward about a change. And um, I think what's been interesting at this is that by just sticking with it, um, having the evidence, telling the story, getting your users, your uh, beneficiaries, your volunteers to tell that story, and allows you to cut through any cynicism and eventually and in many instances wins over those biggest critics so i think you know that for me is that thing about uh, not giving up sticking with it and keep championing a great idea have the evidence to back up what you're you're saying to prove that it's working uh, and then then you will get carried forward to that vision I love it. I love it. I love the resilience is actually paid up for both of you as well. And um, thank you, Matt. Thank you, Andrew, not only for joining me today on the Do One Better podcast, but also for your work and for literally enriching our social fabric, which I think that's what, what the outcome is here of the, of, the, of the work that you've put in. So thank you so much for, uh, for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today. Well, thank you as well, Alberto. You've been a great champion right from the start. And uh, you've you've introduced us to some great people and we've benefited from your experience and expertise as well. So thank you also. Perfect. And that's a wrap. You've been listening to a great conversation with Matt Hyde, Chief Executive Officer of the Scouts UK and Andrew Bollington, a volunteer with the Scouts. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, please click that subscribe button. If you haven't already, do share widely with your friends, family and colleagues. Leave us a rating and a review and I'll catch you next week.